0: So happy to be able to introduce to you my brother-in-law, Dave Bycroft. He's going to come and preach for us today, actually preaching uh, two different sermons. So I'm hoping that you'll uh, stay around for the the second service as well, biscuits and gravy in between. Uh, Dave is just going to uh, really be the, the icing on the cake, so to speak, as we've talked all this month about going and uh, he has been such an example to me uh, about going for jesus and taking the gospel to people Uh, if you read the tribute that i wrote about him uh, it's just my what i've learned from dave through the years and and particularly in those early years when i worked with dave there at tyro he uh, just recently retired uh, after 47 and a half years at the church there in tyro i think that's worth uh, an applause. And I know uh, he will say that to God be the glory, and that's just uh, the way he is and and the way it should be. Uh, To God be the glory, and I welcome you, Dave, to come and preach for us.
1: Most people have to endure their brother and sister in law, and uh, I get the privilege of having two of the best people and supporters in my life that you could ever imagine. They are, they've been there for us in uh, difficult times and have been such a blessing. And the reason I'm saying all this is because if this retirement thing doesn't work out, we're going to move in with them. So. <laughs> Appreciate the opportunity to share with you, and actually this is the first sermon I've preached since my final Sunday on February the 5th, so I feel a little rusty and uh, even a little bit nervous, believe it or not, you know, it's it's just kind of crazy to think that just these few weeks and uh, you feel like you've been out of it for a year, but uh, I I hope and pray that what we're going to share today is going to be extremely helpful to you in your personal endeavor to bring people to Jesus Christ. Uh, For lack of a better title for this sermon, I'm just calling it Fishers of Men. Fishers of Men. And if you turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 20, you get a, a perspective from Jesus as to what this is all about. Now, I don't know how many of you enjoy fishing or have been out in a boat and fishing, but I, I went recently fishing and uh, went to a spot that they said, man, you can't miss. This, this is absolutely the most dynamic pool of water that you, you'll take home a stringer of fish that you just can't believe. And so I got there, unloaded the boat, rowed out in the middle, and I sat there all day, all day, and not one fish jumped in the boat. Really, I mean, honestly, I did not. I waited and waited and waited. Not one fish jumped in the boat. Now, I know what you're thinking, and you're right. That's stupid. If you're going to fish, you better take the right equipment, you better bait the hook, and you better throw it in the water, and you're going to go after the fish. Now, the reason why I tell you that is because Far too many churches and individual Christians try to reach the lost the same way. You know, basically they say, you know, our doors are open. The lights are on. The heat or the air is is going on. We've got great programs. If you want it, come jump in our boat. Are they doing it? No. They don't. And it completely neglects what Jesus said that the church is supposed to do, which is go and make disciples. And so we want to talk about that. Look there in Matthew chapter 4 with me as Jesus introduces this opportunity for us to become fishers of men. Beginning there in verse 18, he says, Now as Jesus was walking by the sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. A Sunday school teacher was one time teaching on this, being a fisher of men, and she asked her young class, what do you think it takes to bait a hook in order to bring somebody to Jesus? One little boy raised his hand and said, donuts. (laughs) He might have something there, you know. He might have something. In fact, I I love your little area uh, out there where you're... Uh, inviting people to come in and to share and, and what a what a great opportunity that is to be invitational with people and make them know and understand you're glad that they're here but the obvious thing that jesus wants us to know and to understand is that we have been called to go and fish for men now i don't know about you but i uh, over the last few years have been extremely distraught about the moral decline of America. In fact, I preached a sermon not long ago about why has America's morals fallen so quickly when we have held the line over the years for so long and remained a strong Christian nation. Why has it happened? And some people want to say, well, it's the politicians. Well, they've got a part in that, obviously. Or it's the professors in our college. And obviously you know there's a terrible liberal agenda that's at work there. And some people want to say it's just the drug culture that's causing all of these things. Let me tell you what the real problem is. It's the church. The church has lost its way. We come here and we sit all clean and tidy and everything is wonderful. And we think if they want it, they can come jump in our boat. If they don't, we're just going to come together and we're going to pat each other on the back and we're just going to go merrily on our way. And while we have been doing that, our nation has been going to hell. And the morality continues to drain out the bottom. And so until the church recaptures her responsibility to go into our world and share the gospel with friends and neighbors and acquaintances, we're going to continue to see a rapid decline in the morality in our nation. Don't know if you know this or not, but in America, 80% of the churches in America are in decline. No longer reaching the lost. In fact, the average church in America will reach one person per year. Now, you're at a church that does far better than that, and praise God, hallelujah for that. But I'm telling you something, the rest of our nation is not involved in that. And it's very easy to allow the devil to to give us this complacency. Hey, we're doing well. Paying the bills, lights are on, everything's comfortable. We've got new programs and new this, that, and the other that's coming along. and Everything's just as great as it can be. And forget our real reason for being here. And so I want to introduce to you again some of the understandings about what we need to do to reach the lost. How are we going to bait the hook to become people who are fishers of men as Jesus called the disciples. Let me tell you some things about evangelism that will never change. These are things that absolute are, are the bottom line. It's And without this, you will not be fishers of men. The very first thing is is that the commission to go will never change. Jesus said in Matthew 28, my guess is you have uh, explored that verse several times over this last month, but he said, go make disciples. He didn't say sit and make disciples. He didn't say, open the doors and hope they come in and make disciples. He said, go and make disciples. We are the ones to be going. And obviously, where do you go? Well, we're, we oftentimes think you've got to go overseas somewhere. And right now, my wife and, and Josiah's mom and dad are in Cambodia, and they're going over there. Uh, with the opportunity to make a difference in the Cambodians' lives and everything. Uh, But most of us aren't going to make those kind of trips. So where do you go? Well, obviously, it's where you're at. When you go to work, when you go to social events, when you go to the gym, when you go to school, wherever you happen to be going... That is the commission that Jesus gave us. And there is no retirement program in Jesus commanding us to go. There's never a stopping point. There's never a, I can sit down and be at ease now because I have done everything I need to do. Just recently I was asked to speak to a bunch of retired preachers. And I thought this would be good. I can... I can learn from them a little bit as to what's going to happen. And I told them, I said, "One one of my greatest concerns is how I'm going to continue to be evangelistically involved. Because it's always been pretty easy, you know, when I've been leading a church, because we have visitors on Sunday and then on the weekdays... We're going to go make calls and uh, connect with those people. And some of them, we're going to have the opportunity to open the scriptures and share Jesus with them. And it's always been easy. And now I don't have that. And so I asked them I said, What are you doing that has kept you in evangelism? That's exactly how it sounded. It scared me. Finally, somebody spoke up and gave a little generic, this is what I'm doing. But for the most part, they explained to me they had retired from evangelism too. What a sad, sad commentary on the life of the church. When we think it's somebody else's job now, I've, I've filled the course, I've done my thing. And one of the things that will never change about evangelism is our responsibility to go. The second thing that will never change in evangelism is the fact uh, that the gospel will never change. It's not going to be new for every generation. It's not going to reconnect. As some people want to to do with the church in many and various ways that we're going to we're going to do it differently now. We don't have to follow the same pattern that God gave us in scriptures. In, in Romans 1.16, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of salvation. That will never change. It's the gospel that brings people to Jesus. It's the gospel that saves people from hell. And that's never going to change. It isn't our programs. Now, there's nothing wrong with programs, and I'm going to talk about some of them here uh, towards the end of this message. Nothing wrong with programs, but programs don't save anybody. They might attract people, but it's the gospel that saves people. And so we've got to know and understand that The gospel will never change. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. The gospel is the power that saves. There's another thing that will never change, and that is the call to respond to the gospel will never change. What does it take to become a Christian? What does it take for somebody to have their sins washed away? Now, you can get a lot of different answers. And many of them are more modern in their approach to what's going to save you. But I'm here to tell you, the response to the gospel invitation is the same as it was on the day of Pentecost. This was the same that Peter shared with them on that day in Acts 2.38. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That will never change. That's exactly how the church started, and on the final day on this earth, for anybody that wants to come to Christ, they're going to have to come by the same response. Did you ever stop to think, where did Peter come up with that? Where did Peter come up with the idea that we need to repent and be baptized? Now, the most responsible of us here in this room today will say, well, the Holy Spirit helped him with that. That's true. It is true, but there's something more. Let me take you to Matthew chapter 16, and I'll show you. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16. I hope you brought them, and, and I want you to see this directly. as to what was happening and why Peter said what he said on the day of Pentecost. Look in verse 17. Now, he's just asked the disciples who he is, and they gave their answers as to what people would say. And then he said, but who do you say that I am? Well, guess who spoke up? Who normally spoke up when Jesus asked questions? Tell me. Peter. He sure did. Peter spoke up, and he said, Well, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you, are Peter, and upon this rock, this confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Now, check out verse 19. Where did Peter get these words that he said in Acts 2.38? And I will give to you. Who's he talking to? Peter. I will give to you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Now, for just a second, what do you use a key for? unlock or to start and what's happening on the day of pentecost they're unlocking the door of the church they're starting the church of jesus he has the keys to the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven you know what he just told peter He says, the words that come out of your mouth have already been established in heaven and whatever comes out of your mouth when you unlock the door of the church with the keys that I'm giving you today, that will have been already bound in heaven and it will never change. The understanding that our response to the gospel of Jesus Christ is always going to be the same to believe in Jesus, to repent of our sins, to confess the name of Christ, and to be baptized into Jesus Christ and live faithfully the rest of our lives for Him. That is the response that we need to make. Now, the second thing that I want you to understand is that God Himself used physical attractions... To get people's attention so that the gospel could be preached to them. Let me show you what I mean. Turn to Acts chapter 2. Now we just quoted from Acts 2.38, the very first day of the church. The very first time anybody ever responded. And if you know your Bible, there was 3,000 people on that day that were baptized into Jesus Christ. They, They came to accept him as their Lord and Savior. But what got the crowd there? What was it that people decided to come hear what Peter had to say? If Peter had just started preaching there in the streets of Jerusalem, my guess is there would have been a few people that might have gathered and hung around. But there was something that happened that God used that drew the crowd. What was it? Well, let's look in verse 1 and 2 of chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost had come, and they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent, rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire, distributing themselves, and they rested On each one of them. Now I'm going to ask you a question. What is so spiritual about the sound of a rushing wind? What's so spiritual about that? Nothing. You're right. Nothing. What's so spiritual about fire resting on each of the apostles? Well, it could s- certainly be disturbing, but spiritual? Is that a spiritual thing? No, it's not. So what was that all about? What was this sound of a rushing mighty wind? They heard the wind blowing like it was a tornado, and you always hear that sound of a train when the tornado, you hear that sound, but you also see the effects of the wind. But here there was no effects of the wind. There was just the sound of a rushing mighty wind. Why'd that happen? Well, if you read on, people from all over Jerusalem followed the sound. Where's this coming from? I, I don't see the flags blowing. I, I don't see the tree limbs waving back and forth. It sounds like it ought to be violently tossing trees and debris and everything else that's not happening. Where's it coming from? They followed the sound. And when they got there, they saw the disciples encased in fire. Now, a lot of people think that there was little tongues of fire on their head. I happen to believe, and it doesn't make a whole lot of difference. I believe they were in a ball of fire. They were standing in the middle of fire. That might get your attention, huh? It might make you say, what in the world is going on here? This, this is incredible. And so Peter took that as the opportunity. When the crowd gathered, Peter took it as the opportunity to preach the gospel. That's when 3,000 people obeyed the gospel and became Christians that day. And so what I want to suggest to you as a church and even you as an individual in your daily life It's okay to bait your hook with things that will attract people. Be they donuts. It's okay to use something like the sound of the rushing mighty wind and a ball of fire to make people interested enough to come and find out what's going on here. And over the years, the 47 and a half years that uh, uh, we were at Tyro. We used a lot of physical attractions to get people to come so we could preach the gospel. And so it becomes very, very important. Go with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And you'll hear Paul basically saying the same thing as to what it takes to attract people. What it takes to get people to listen to your message, Uh, beginning there in verse 18 of chapter 9, 1 Corinthians. He says, What then is my reward, that when I preach the gospel, I may offer the gospel without charge, so as to not, not make full use of my right in the gospel? For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all, that I may win some. To the Jews I become as a Jew, so that I might win Jews. To those that are under the law as under the law, though not myself being under the law, so that I might win those that are under the law. To those that are without the law as without the law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, so that I might win those who are with the law, without the law. To the weak I become weak. That I might win the week. I have become all things to all men so that I may by all means save some. Now, what did he just say? I think it's pretty pretty easy to dissect that. He just said, whatever it takes for me to be able to connect with somebody out there on their level with things that they know and understand and are involved in, I'm going to get myself in that same kind of a circle so that I can attract them to the gospel. That's the understanding that we need to take. Now, obviously, he's not talking about sinful things. We could have a burlesque show on stage and draw a pretty good crowd. So he's not talking about that kind of sinful things. But he is talking about, I need to be able to look at people, the people in my neighborhood, the people that I work with, the people that I go to school with, the people that are at the gym with me, and I need to see the things that they're attracted to, and I need on that basis to try and use that to reach them for Jesus Christ. I think the church has lost that mentality. When you find people that are going to preach the gospel, you find them too often trying to cram their Bible down those people's throats. And then we wonder why they're not interested. If we would take the time to develop a friendship and to know and understand who people are and what they respond to and what they are interested in, God can use me to connect with them on their basis and over time I get the privilege, the opportunity, the wonderful chance to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. That's exactly what we need to be involved in. We should never change the message, as I said in the first point of this sermon. We should never change the message. But we probably do need to change the delivery of that message. How can I bottle it up to where it's going to be acceptable in this generation? So the message never changes, but the methods do. Let me give you an illustration of that. In Centralia, Illinois, there's a Christian man who owns the company that produces Country Bob's Steak Sauce. How many of you are familiar with it? Country Bob's Steak Sauce. Christian family, they use all kinds of their profit to do missionary work. The man's daughter is a missionary in Africa and has a children's home there. Uh, If you look on the Country Bob's bottle, there's a little fish down there, and it just shows the fact that they're committed to following Jesus Christ. And so it's not only a good steak sauce, it's also uh, something that helps spread the gospel around the world. But let me tell you a little story about what happened with that organization. When Terry Edson, who's the CEO of that company, when he took over for his father, who was the country Bob, the original guy, when he took over for his father, they began to look at ways to make the company more efficient and, and make more money. And if you look on the store shelves, you find out there's, there's about 175 different kinds of uh, barbecue sauce on your shelves at the store. You know, it, It's incredible. And somebody comes up with a new one all the time. And so for you to be able to keep a place in the market, you're you're going to have to make yourself very profitable. And they were finding out that they were kind of losing out there a little bit and they needed to do something that was going to make them more profitable. Now, the original bottle was a brown glass bottle, dark brown bottle, and uh, it had always been produced in that brown glass bottle. Terry found out that if we would go to a plastic bottle it would not only be cheaper to make the plastic bottle than the glass bottle but shipping expenses would reduce our costs by $150,000 a year just shipping now you would think that would be the most easy thing to decide let's switch right now did you know That in their boardroom, they fussed and fumed. You know why? Because we've always sold it in this glass bottle. We've always done it this way. Does that sound like the church just a little bit? We've always done it this way. you know what didn't change when they switched to the plastic bottle what didn't change you know the sauce it didn't change same sauce just now in a different bottle they packaged it in a different bottle and the church needs to learn some lessons from that the message never changes jesus is the only means of salvation and to believe in him to repent and be baptized is the only response. We don't change the message, but we can sure enough change the bottle. We can sure enough change the delivery method. We can use different kinds of things to get that gospel message out there. And the church needs to learn those lessons. In fact, you can use what you enjoy doing When we talk about connecting with other people, you can take your hobby, the thing that you enjoy getting involved in, and you can decide, I'm no longer going to do this just from the standpoint of, I enjoy doing this, this is my getaway, this is what uh, my hobby is. You can now start to use that thing that you enjoy doing as a means of connecting with people so that you can bring them to Jesus Christ. Case in point. We do a car show at Tyro. have for 14 years. And we get people to come to our church building who would never come for a worship service. They would never come if you invited them to come and hear a sermon. But when you say, why don't you bring your classic antique car and show it off, and we'll give away prizes and awards to the winners, They show up. In fact, this last year, we had over 300 cars that showed up on our parking lot. And in order to get an award, they had to come inside the church building. Some of them are constantly looking to see if it's going to fall in, you know. I'm not sure I ought to be in here. It's those kind of people but we use that as an opportunity to connect them with the church and the message of Jesus Christ before they leave. We always usher them uh, uh, an invitation to come to church, and I always talk to them about the fact that we are here to help people find a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, it doesn't happen this way every time, but the second year that we did this, we had 50 brand new people that showed up for church on Sunday morning. We do the car show on Saturday. And so we invite them to come. We had 50 people that had never been in our church before that next Sunday morning. I tracked those 50 people over the next year, year and a half. And of the 50, 27 of them made decisions for Christ. Now why didn't we do a car show? because we just want to be like everybody else just so that we can have a little fun and that's there's no problem with that we're very intentional about why they do why we do that and you know what i'm not telling anybody to do a car show because it's more work than you'll ever want to do i'm just telling you it is just uh, it's just an incredible amount of work. but if we can reach people for jesus with this new delivery bottle, we're going to do it. And you can take the very thing that you enjoy doing. You can take your golf clubs. You can take your quilting needles. You can take uh, everything that you're involved in, and you can turn that upside down. You can baptize your hobby. And you can bring people to Jesus through that. I'm involved in antique tractor pulling, and over the years of my involvement with that, I have connected with people that I would never get the chance to be connected with them any other way. And there have been six people that I have been able to influence for Jesus that have been baptized into Christ because of my using a hobby that I love to be involved in, but I don't go there just to win, and by the way, the international always wins. I'm just, just telling you that. <clears throat> I don't go there just to win. In fact, if I got last place every time, it really wouldn't bother me that much because I'm having fun doing it, and I connect with people whom I can influence for Jesus. Now, what's your deal? About the only thing that people do for a hobby that's not usable is take a nap. That one doesn't work. Because you're by yourself. Just about anything else that you're involved in, you can do what Paul said. I become all things to all people whereby I might win some. You've got to change your attitude as to why you do it. You've got to decide from now on, my purpose for being involved in these activities and this hobby is going to be so that I can connect with people on a friendship level and I can get to know them and I can get to share my faith in Jesus Christ with them. And you, my friend, can take the very thing that you love to do and you can use it as an opportunity for you to get somebody to escape eternal hell and find a relationship with Jesus Christ. When you decide that you are involved in different activities for the purpose of bringing glory to God and helping people find Jesus Christ, you're going to find a new level of enjoyment with your hobby that you never even thought was possible. Why do we do all that? Well, let me show you one more thing. I'm just going to read Revelation chapter 20, and this is why we do it. Then I saw a great white throne, and him sat upon it. For those, the presence of earth and heaven fled away, and there was no place found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. The sea gave up the dead which were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And they were judged, every one of them according to their deeds. And death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. For some of you, that will be your kids. For some of you, that will be your parents. For others, most of us, it's friends, neighbors, people that we care about. Why do we do this? To help the people that we love to escape eternal damnation. Let's pray, and then we'll sing our invitation here. Father, we thank you so very much for the fact that in Jesus we escape the flames of hell. And that we have the powerful message that's going to help others who are right now under the curse of the condemnation of eternal separation from Jesus. We have the the message that will help them find the peace that passeth all understanding, the hope of eternal life, the freedom from sin, death, and hell. So, Father, I pray that you would help this church to grab a hold of the ability for every one of them to go out into their world and just preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Let's sing. Let's sing.